0: But my covenant I shall establish with Yitzchak by Rav Waxman Great joy, happiness, and mirth these are the central motifs of the first part of Breshit chapter 21 the story of the birth of Yitzchak For example, shortly after reporting Yitzchak's birth and naming the Torah describes Sarah's reaction And God has made laughter, tzchok, for me so that all who hear will laugh, Yitzchak With me, and she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah should give children suck? For I have borne Abraham a son in his old age. Sarah celebrates God's miracle, it is an occasion for wondrous astonishment and joy for herself, Abraham, and all who hear. In fact, Yitzhak's very name means laughter and symbolizes the joy and celebration. In line with this theme, the stem tzaddi chet kuf meaning laughter, appears repeatedly throughout the chapter. Nevertheless, all is not just merriment and mirth in this story. Sarah's happiness is not yet complete. Without even a pause after the post-birth celebration, the Torah moves to describing the events of the day of Yitzchak's weaning. Upon seeing the son of Hagar the Egyptian engaged in laughter, Sarah demands that the slave and her son be sent away. In Sarah's own words... For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, with Yitzchak. There is yet a fly in the ointment, a reminder of Sarah's long years of childlessness, degradation and humiliation. Sarah insists that the maidservant and her son be expelled and all be conferred upon Yitzchak, the only authentic heir. Despite Abraham's hesitation and worry regarding his son, God sides with Sarah. Hagar and Yishmael are cast out. The structure of the chapter and the sinister turn outlined above are of course understandable. The chapter is really about the triumph of Sarah. The first section describes God's remembering of Sarah and the birth of Yitzchak, the first component in Sarah's vindication. The third section depicts the expulsion of Ishmael, the second component in Sarah's victory. The middle section, analyzed above, provides the cause of Ishmael's expulsion provides insight into the attitudes of the crucial characters and acts as a transition between the two components of Sarah's triumph. But herein lies the nub of the matter. While we can easily parse Abraham's hesitation, and at least part of Sarah's motivation, we cannot so easily fathom God's confirmation of Sarah's demand. Why does he agree? What has Ishmael done besides laugh? Does God simply wish to grant Sarah her wish? Are Hagar and Ishmael unsuitable in some way? Are we to chalk this up to the ever-mysterious divine wisdom? In sum, what in fact is the real cause of the expulsion of Ishmael? Let us turn to the third part of chapter 21, the actual expulsion of Ishmael, treated above as no more than the second component of the vindication of Sarah, part and parcel of the triumph of Sarah. The action unfolds as follows. Abraham gets up early in the morning, provides Hagar and Ishmael with provisions, and sends them away. They leave, wandering aimlessly in the desert. At this point, a crisis ensues. They run out of water. Hagar, convinced that Ishmael faces death, abandons him, and breaks down crying. But all is not lost. An angel of God calls to Hagar from heaven, reassures her, reunites her with Ishmael, provides water, and promises great nationhood. Finally, we are told of Ishmael's marriage. On some plane, it is difficult to maintain our previous interpretation of the section as no more than the second stage of Sarah's vindication. For such a purpose, the Torah need only teach us the bare fact of the expulsion, the very first verse of the story. As a story of the triumph of Sarah, no more need be said. If we imagine ourselves as typical pro-Sarah readers eager to enjoy our foremother's triumph, we might ask, Why do we need to know the details? Who really cares about Hagar and Ishmael's crisis in the desert, the near-death experience, the divine rescue, the promises, and the marriage? Quite clearly, and counter to our first reading of the chapter, the story is in some real sense about Hagar and Ishmael. But once again, why do we need to know? In more analytic terminology, why does the Torah provide a detailed version of the ordeal of Hagar and Ishmael? Let us complicate the issue a little further. Upon close analysis, the ordeal of Hagar and Ishmael bears a striking resemblance to another story in Parashat Vayera. The narrative opens with the phrase, and Avraham got up early in the morning, and depicts him as taking. No reader of the Bible can miss the echo. This is Avraham's first action in the Akedah, the story of the binding of Yitzchak. In the Akedah, The Torah utilizes the exact same phrase, and Abraham got up early in the morning, and likewise depicts him as taking. This parallel is not just linguistic. In both cases, Abraham rises early to accomplish a divine command. In both cases, the divine command involves a final parting from a son, the expulsion of Ishmael, and the sacrifice of Yitzchak. All of this is just the tip of the iceberg. In both cases, a young lad, referred to by the term hanar, is endangered in the course of a journey. Their respective journeys are described by a term comprising a variation on the verb stem he lamid khaf, meaning go. Furthermore, in both cases the danger threatens the lad as a result of the action of a parent. Hagar wanders aimlessly in the desert and when dehydration consequently threatens, casts her son away leaving him to die under one of the shrubs. The danger to Yitzchak also stems from a parent. It is the hand and knife of Abraham that threatens Yitzchak's life. More strikingly, in the respective climaxes of the stories, the endangered lad is saved by the call of an angel of God, sounding from heaven. In each case, the heavenly intervention is followed by seeing, a vision that provides the solution to the problem of imminent death, water in the case of Ishmael, and the ram as an alternate sacrifice in the case of Yitzchak. Furthermore, in both cases, the angel reiterates the promise of future nationhood before departing. Finally, after depicting the young man as having survived his life-threatening ordeal, both narratives turn toward marriage. Chapter 21, the story of Ishmael, informs us of Ishmael's marriage. On a similar note, chapter 22, the story of Yitzchak, closes with the genealogy of Nahor focusing on the birth of Rivka, the future wife of our once endangered and now saved youth. How are we to evaluate this parallel to Akedat Yitzchak? What does this mean for interpreting the latter part of chapter 21 and its inclusion in the Torah? Recently some interpreters have begun to refer to the latter half of chapter 21 as Akedat Ishmael. According to this line of thinking, the significance of the parallel sketched above lies in the revelation that there is in fact more than one story in the Torah detailing Abraham's submission to the divine will and subsequent sacrifice of a son. Not just Akedah Yitzchak, but also Akedah Ishmael, the binding or rather expulsion of Ishmael. Like many events in Abraham's life, the Akedah happens twice. Moreover, in a certain sense, The first Akedah is a necessary precondition for the second. After all, part of the test of Akedah Yitzchak is the fact that all of Abraham's hopes now reside in Yitzchak. The psychology results not just from the decree that in Yitzchak shall your seed be called, but also from the brute fact that Yitzchak is now effectively the only child. While this is undoubtedly correct, it is only a partial understanding. Interpreting the latter half of chapter 21 as a precursor Akedah renders the story a narrative about Avraham, his challenge, his test, and his success. But once again, we are no further along than before. The details of the expulsion of Ishmael seem to be about Hagar and Ishmael, not about the triumph of Sarah, nor about the trial of Avraham. A review of the parallel between the two stories outlined above should help reinforce this point let us try to reduce the joint paradigm to its bare logical bones. In stage 1, God orders Avraham to part from a son. In stage 2, the lad and a parent, Ishmael Hagar or Yitzhak Avraham, go on a journey. Next, in stage 3, during the course of the journey and through the action of the parent, the lad faces life-threatening danger. In stage 4, the lad is saved by divine intervention and promised future nationhood. Finally, in stage 5, we are given a glimpse of that promised future through a reference to marriage. This is not just the paradigm of Akedah, the test of Abraham's faith. It is also a paradigm of journey, danger, and rescue. The paradigm describes the maturation journey, the rite of passage, of the future progenitor of a nation who undergoes a near-death experience before being saved by God. As such, These stories are not just about Abraham and God, they are also about Yitzchak and Ishmael. As Akedah, the stories are about sacrifice and theological truths. As Journey, Danger, and Rescue, they are not just about theological truths. They are also about the parent-child pair and their journey into the crucible of crisis and impending death. Defining the common denominator of the expulsion of Ishmael and Akedah Yitzchak as a Yitzchak Ishmael and parent child focused paradigm should make us realize that perhaps the differences between the two stories are even more significant than the similarities. Let us turn our attention to some of the more obvious disparities. In the Akedah, Abraham faces a frightening test. Despite all of God's previous promises, he is now required to give up his son an apparently inexplicable and final reversal. Part of the dramatic tension of the narrative is how Abraham will react to the command, how he will hold up during the ordeal. The Torah relates to these questions in a clear fashion. Abraham is depicted as determined, purposeful, and courageous. He gets up early in the morning, prepares the wood, takes Yitzchak, and sets out. The strange nature of the journey, in which Abraham and Yitzchak set out for and arrive at the place, the divinely chosen place, despite the lack of specific directions, further reinforces this point. Of course, it is Abraham's near performance of the act that most greatly emphasizes the themes of purpose, determination, and courage. To a great extent, these themes also characterize Yitzchak's actions in his own ordeal. Undoubtedly, as pointed out by Rashi, Yitzchak knows what is going on. Yitzchak's dramatic question, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for offering? already hints at Yitzchak's realization. Leaving behind the servants and failing to bring an animal can only mean one thing. Abraham's tantalizing reply, God will show the lamb for sacrifice, my son. Containing the clear conjunction of sacrifice and son merely confirms Yitzchak's nascent knowledge. No further dialogue ensues. Yitzchak soldiers on, carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. He neither cries nor begs for mercy. He is purposeful, determined, and courageous. He too, in the famous phrase, is a knight of faith. The text not only emphasizes the parallel qualities of purpose and courage in Avraham and Yitzchak, but also their unity and togetherness. The Torah utilizes the phrase, and the two of them went together, yachdav, or a variation, three times throughout the narrative, not just before Yitzchak's full realization of the plan, but also after Avraham has all but told him outright, not just before Avraham put the knife to Yitzchak's throat, but also after, on the journey home. There is no breakdown, no collapse, and no division in the ordeal of Avraham and Yitzchak in their story of journey, danger, and rescue. This picture mutates radically if we shift back to the first journey, danger, and rescue story. Unlike Avraham, Hagar possesses no reason to think that the previously granted divine promises have been revoked. After all, the previous promise of future nationhood for her children included suffering under her mistress's hand. If anything, her expulsion from Sarah's house should appear as an opportunity to put the stage of suffering behind her and to move on to a new and promising future. Yet Hagar's behavior in her journey is neither purposeful, determined, nor courageous. In despair, she wanders turning her journey into a movement to anywhere or nowhere, the opposite of Abraham's mysterious arrival at the place. In her purposeless wandering, she endangers her son. In her despair, she casts him away and breaks down crying. The attitude of despair and breakdown that animates Hagar also spills over to Ishmael. During the preface to the Divine Rescue, the Torah states that God heard the voice of the lad, a clear echo of the crying voice of Hagar, just four words previously. Just as Hagar breaks down and cries, so too Ishmael. Furthermore, let us not forget Ishmael's age. He is at least sixteen years old. His passivity in the story is not the restraint of determination and sacrifice, but of disintegration and tears. Finally, let us not forget verse 16. And she went and sat down over and against him at the distance of a bowshot, for she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat away from him, and lifted up her voice and cried. In pointed contrast to the yachdav, the togetherness of Avraham and Yitzchak, Hagar and Ishmael are divided, physically and existentially separate. This is their story of journey, danger, and rescue, a story not of purpose, unity, and togetherness in the face of justified cause for despair, but of despair, wandering, breakdown, and division. We began our analysis of chapter 21 with a question. What is the reason for Ishmael's expulsion? Why did God agree to Sarah's demand? As alluded previously, numerous responses have been proposed, ranging from sinful behavior on the part of Ishmael, to the currently popular metaphysical doctrine that the chosen nation can be formed only through the process of choosing, the pushing aside or purging of one of two possible heirs. In analyzing the details of the third part of the chapter, the expulsion of Ishmael, treating it as a journey, danger, and rescue story, and contrasting it with another such story of that type, Akedah Yitzchak, I have implicitly argued for a new explanation of God's acquiescence. Unlike us, the readers of the Bible, or even Abraham and Sarah, God knows the future. God knows the character and capabilities of Abraham and Hagar, of Yitzchak and Ishmael. God knows how Abraham and Yitzchak will react to the Akedah, to the ordeal of journey, danger, and rescue. He already apprehends their capacities for faith, courage, purposefulness, and togetherness. He knows they are cut from a certain cloth. Likewise, he knows the essence of Hagar and her son Ishmael. He knows how they will respond to their comparatively mild trial of faith, their journey, and danger. He knows that despair, division, and breakdown are not the best materials from which to mold the nation of Abraham. Consequently, just as God first chose the long-suffering Sarah and her child Yitzchak in the covenant of circumcision, so too God chooses Sarah and her child Yitzchak here in chapter 21. To close the circle, the details of the expulsion of Ishmael and the implied contrast to Akedai Yitzchak are about letting us, the readers, in on these insights. By reading on, grasping what the character of faith is about and grasping what it is not about, we may also have begun to grasp the rationale for God's decision. Before closing, I would like to explore another contrast between our two Journey Danger and Rescue stories, specifically regarding the rescue sections. The rescue of Ishmael results from God's hearing. This phrase appears as a preface to the angelic interference, God heard the voice of the Lad, and in the angel's reassurance of Hagar, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the Lad. This explanation of the rescue is not the least bit surprising it is the very model enshrined and implicitly predicted in the naming of Ishmael. God hears the suffering of the downtrodden and oppressed, the expelled and the outcast. As pointed out last week, it is a key component in the paradigm of oppression and redemption, what I termed last week, God's standard way of running the world. In fact, we may identify at least four distinct ways in which the rescue of Ishmael is unsurprising. First, as mentioned earlier, God has never contradicted his earlier promise of nationhood for Ishmael. Second, as argued here, the mode of rescue involves hearing the pain and cries of the oppressed, a mode of rescue already identified explicitly with Ishmael. Third, as I argued last week and reiterated here, it is part of an almost universal standard paradigm. Fourth, and finally, on a visceral and emotional level, we identify and empathize with the rescue, it is only fair to save the suffering outcast. In contrast, the rescue of Yitzchak is not easily explicable. In a shocking reversal, God has already seemingly reversed his statement, but my covenant I will establish with Yitzchak, and his declaration that, in Yitzchak shall your seed be called. God has now demanded Yitzchak as a sacrifice. The rescue constitutes a second, and in the context of the god Abraham relationship, shocking and radical reversal. For Avraham, and for the reader who allows himself to forget his prior education regarding the notion of nisayon, trial and test, the rescue is wholly unexpected. It comes as another surprise, a reversal of the reversal. Not for naught does the Midrash emphasize Avraham's inclination to somehow continue with the sacrifice. This theme of reversal is also hinted at in the time frame in which the reversal rescue takes place. We are taught that Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. In the very nick of time the angel called. It is almost too late or is it perhaps already too late? In fact, we would expect that no one can react that fast, can be diverted when so focused. The reversal comes at the last minute or in a certain sense after the last minute when it should have been too late. Finally, the rescue is surprising in an emotional and visceral sense. Just as Abraham has submitted to the divine will and readied himself for sacrificing his son, so too we, the readers of the Akedah, have already succumbed to the terrifying logic of the events about to unfold. We have become numb and frightened by the power of God's will, bereft of any moral intuition about what should happen. Each time we are left relieved, gasping at the mysteries of the divine will. In sum, the story of chapter 21, The Rescue of Ishmael, is marked by the expected, the normal, the comprehensible, the universal pattern of oppression and redemption. But the story of chapter 22, The Rescue of Yitzchak, is marked by something altogether different, the concept of reversals, the unexpected, the inaccessible, and the forever mysterious divine will. It constitutes a new pattern of redemption, defining a model of contradiction and reversals, inexplicable reversal difficulty, Followed by inexplicable reversal redemption. In fact, this distinction between the rescue of Ishmael and the rescue of Yitzchak, the redemption model of Ishmael's life and the redemption model of Yitzchak's life, is not a new difference between them. It is an old story. Chapter 16 opens with the story of the conception of Ishmael. Sarah is barren. In accord with standard practice, Sarah grants Abraham her maidservant, and a child is conceived. Nothing strange. The story is familiar, understandable, natural, and part of the regular way the world works. But not so the conception and birth of Yitzchak. Sarah is barren, and in the natural scheme barren women cannot conceive. The very promise seems bizarre even to Avraham and Sarah. Whether joyously, skeptically, or cynically, they laugh. In Avraham's own words, shall a child be born to him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old give birth? it is absurd but this is exactly the point it is absurd, unnatural, surprising and unexpected a certain kind of miracle it is the revivification of a barren woman at the age of ninety the paradigm of contradiction and reversal let us turn our attention one last time to the expulsion of Ishmael this time with a rich sense of the Yitzhak Ishmael contrast this expulsion in fact constitutes another reversal part of the isaac yishmael contrast pattern. Ishmael is the firstborn according to what might be termed the iron law of primogeniture prevalent in the ancient near east. Ishmael cannot be expelled, exiled, replaced or contradicted as heir, but such is not God's will. God contradicts and reverses the natural, the normal way the world works, replacing Ishmael with Isaac he reverses the natural and normal via one who in his birth and near death as a child of a barren woman and as the rescued in the Akedah embodies and represents by virtue of his sheer existence the concept of redemption through reversal and contradiction if so we have perhaps arrived at a further explanation of God's agreement with Sarah's demand it is not just about the character of Yitzchak rather it is also about broadcasting a message the message of contradiction and reversal, the special and mysterious means by which God runs the history of his chosen people, Yitzchak and his descendants. To conclude, the end of chapter 21, the story of Hagar and Ishmael, is not just extraneous detail, nor, for that matter, is God's affirmation of Ishmael's expulsion completely inexplicable. Rather, both the expulsion and the details of the subsequent ordeal in the desert are part of a sustained comparison of Yitzchak and Yishmael part of an ongoing lesson in both the character of faith and the nature of God's providence.